Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope that you enjoy today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with Behavior Analysis. Welcome to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I thank you for taking your time out to listen today. I don't take it lightly that you chose this podcast. As always, please like, subscribe, and and share. (laughs) So today I have two amazing ladies that I have come to look up to in the field with us today. I have Ms. Landria Seals-Green and Ms. Vanessa Bethay-Miller, and I'm going to let them that I get to work with and just some of the people that I get to meet on a daily basis, the families, the other therapists, the other BCBAs, those that are powerhouses in our field. Like, how can you not love what we do? How can you not just find sheer enjoyment or find behavior analysis in everything? So hopefully through this podcast, you'll see how we can actually use what we do through each and every part of our lives. Um, Whether you are trained as a behavior analyst or whether you're not, it doesn't matter. You can still use some of the wonderful tools that we have developed in this field and just use the science itself to see how can we better improve not only our personal lives, but how can we improve our social situations? How can we improve some of the social ills that are still plaguing us that you would think now in the year 2020 that wouldn't be as big of an issue or as uh, such a hot button topic, such as gender identity, sexuality, racism, all of those things we hope to accomplish and to talk about through this podcast. So one of the things that I want to do for every podcast is to make sure one, that you have a takeaway two that you have some kind of reflective uh, quote to live by or go by for the week or for the month. Um, I personally have various quotes that I live by that I recite to myself that I have posted around my home that for me are just helpful when you're going through those. So certain situations where it's just like, you know what? My brain is frazzled. I don't know what else to do. I need something to kind of keep me going, keep me motivated. So I'm hoping to do the same for you for every single session. And also for every podcast, we'll have a takeaway that you can go onto our website, www.lifewithbehavioranalysis.com to retrieve that PDF document that just gives you some show notes, some takeaways from the show, and something to look look forward to or something to look at to help us continue to do life together with behavior analysis. So I figured, being that this is the very first podcast and this is January, that we should look at personal development. Now, I know everybody, every first of the year says, oh, I'm going to do, oh, I'm going to accomplish, oh, I'm going to go and make... And I don't know, just figure it out. <laughs> We're going to do something great, something grand every single year. But let's be honest, guys. How many of us honestly stick to that goal, that vision, that thing that we said we're going to do? Anybody? Yeah, it's really hard. And there's those that do stick with it are very far, few in between. And why is this? Because we don't have a plan. We don't have a way to really make sure that we're getting those goals done. Now, whether we're serious about these goals or not is a whole different topic of conversation. But for those things that we really, really want to change, I have a few life with ABA or life behavior with behavior analysis tips and tricks that will help you to be 
um, successful this 2020 year. So first, let's begin with engaging in some private events, shall we? So there are many of us that set new goals every year that, frankly speaking, just sounds good or gets us momentary acknowledgement and reinforcement. I mean, how many times have you told someone, oh, I'm going to eat right this year. And then here we start this whole diatribe of how to eat healthy, when to eat healthy, when is it the best time to eat during the day? Are you going to do keto? Are you going to do vegan? Are you going to do pescatarian? Are you going to eat no, you know, are you going to do intermittent fasting? Are you going to eat um, before 6 a.m.? Or are you going to eat after 6 p.m.? Are you going to cut out sweets? I mean, like this is a whole situation just talking about food, a whole situation. But how many of us really stick to it? Yeah, Oreos are delicious. I get it. (laughs) But goals without a plan to achieve them have no weight. So first, we're going to start this year off with a vision. So what do you truly want to accomplish in 2020? Or whatever year you are listening to this podcast. While determining your vision, there are three things or four things that we should delve into. So first, can you specifically, concisely, and accurately define what the goal is. Now, when you think of a goal, I don't want it to be something or I wouldn't suggest something that someone else wants you to do. Like, oh, my parents want me to go back to school. Okay, that's great. That is that your goal? Or, oh, my husband wants me to lose 15 pounds. Okay, that's a whole nother thing. But is that your goal? Is that something that you yourself want to accomplish? Whether you want to do it or not will speak volumes as to whether or not you actually achieve that goal and you have a buy-in. If it's something that you really don't want to do, there's not a very good chance you'll accomplish that goal because there's no buy-in for you. Now, when you're considering what kind of goal that you're going to define concisely and specifically, Zig Ziglar um, has this wheel of life, this approach, if you will, to balancing and goal setting. So the set, the areas that he has are your physical and your health, personal and social, your work and your career, your family, spirituality, your finances, and your mind and intellect. So touching on some of these, say for instance, you want to specifically uh, work on, I don't know, let's pick spending more time with friends, with close friends and family. Well, your personal, your social, what does that mean? Does it mean that you will go out to dinner with one friend at least once every month? Does this mean that you will write letters to your friends expressing how you feel about them, how much they mean to your life once a month? Does this mean that you will go out and have a spa day with your girlfriends or go to a football game, baseball game, or whatever it may be, at least once a quarter? How are you going to specifically and concisely define what this goal means to you? For your family, does it mean, like we can say, oh, we want to be better parents. But what does being a better parent actually mean? Does that mean every Friday at 7 p.m. the family will sit, have dinner, and do a movie together once a month, once a week, every other week? What does that mean? Anyone can say, oh, I'm going to improve my intellect this year. Okay, well, how are you going to do it? Are you going to improve your intellect through reading one book a month? Are you going to listen to this podcast, which I hope you do, every for every time we release a new episode? Are you going to make sure that you are taking notes and that you are 
listening to podcasts. Your goal can mean anything for you, but it has to one, be your goal. According to Zig Ziglar, you'll have more success if it fits one of those, those goal setting or life, um, life balance areas on the wheel, which was adapted from his born to win book in 2012. Should you want to look that up? I think it's awesome. You should read it. No, I don't get paid to tell you guys that. So take my word for it. It's wonderful. (laughs) So once you have defined what you want to do, what your goal is, once you have that thing that is uniquely for you, then you're going to break your goal down into smaller, more attainable pieces, your long-term versus your short-term goals. So for instance, let's go back to eating because, hey, I like food and food is my thing. If you were going to say... I will be pescatarian. Okay. Pescatarian, we all know, well, we may not all know, but that means that you eat, don't eat any red meat, you don't eat any poultry, and that we're eating mainly fish and uh, shellfish. So if you're going to be pescatarian by, eh, let's say by June, what will that, how would you measure that or bake that into, break it down into smaller attainable pieces? Well, one way you can do that is one, to first cut out red meat, if you still eat red meat. Cut out red meat for three weeks. Cut out red meat for four months. I mean, four, four weeks, excuse me. Cut out your red meat. Then slowly cut out your poultry. Then your next goal will be to cut out, um, let's see, cut out any other byproducts, say cheeses, if you wanted to take it that far. Cut out cheeses and eggs. And then you've met your long-term goal. Really quick, really simple. However, once you have those smaller attainable goals, then you can actually set a time to it. You can actually put a date to it to help you gain or help you move through those short-term goals toward the long-term goals. So for instance, like with the food, I'm cutting out all red meat for the ne- over the next... So for the first week, I'll just cut out pork. That means no pork chops, no bacon. And I know that's blasphemy to some people, but no pork chop, no bacon. That's what I'll cut out for my first week. For my second week, I may still stick with not eating any pork. Third week, I'll probably stick to stick with it, not cutting out any pork. So by week three, eh, if I slip a little in between there, I can get back on the wagon. But at the end of the third week, I should be pretty much finished with pork. And then next, I may choose to cut out red meat. So that means I may, for that first of the three weeks in the next phase toward the short, my short-term goal, I may cut out steaks. The second week, I might cut out ground beef. The third week, I may cut out another type of red meat, depending on what your goal is or what your short-term goal is. And you can make it as short or as long as, as you want, but you want to make sure that it's attainable and that it's something that you can actually do. Now, if you can't cut out red meat in three weeks, extend it. It's fine. But the goal is to get to that long-term goal. So you don't want to prolong it where you're going, oh, I'll just cut it out over nine months. Let's be like realistic, guys. Like, Let's put a good time limit to that short-term goal. So I'll even put a date to it by, let's see, February 1, I will no longer eat pork. By March 1, I will no longer eat red meat. By, I don't know, let's say we can even extend it further. By June 1, I'll stop with poultry. And that way you can and then complete, start to add in your uh, more fish, more um, shellfish over time while you're eliminating those other foods. 
So speaking again on food, are you willing to make those environmental or antecedent changes to attain that goal? Now, if I'm cutting out pork, that means that when I go to the grocery store, I'm not going to buy a pack of bacon. I'm going to set up my environment to make sure that I'm setting myself up for success. Same thing with sweets and candies and things of that nature. When you're going to the grocery store, if that's something that you have envisioned to cut out, well, don't buy it. If it's not there, you can't eat it kind of thing. Even with working out, if you say, hey, I'm going to walk 10 minutes a day for the next week, it's it's attainable. We have a definition of what we're trying to do. We're trying to lose 15 pounds. Our short-term goal is to lose, say, I don't know, let's say two pounds a week. Well, we know doing two pounds a week, we also need to have something where we're losing those two pounds. So if you're going to work, say, work out 10 minutes or walk 15 minutes a day for two weeks before you ramp it up a little bit where you're walking, instead of 15 minutes, you're going to walk 30 minutes then you're going to walk 30 minutes twice a day. You're build, building up your, building yourself up throughout your um, getting towards your long-term goal. Now, setting up your environment. Have your gym shoes ready. Have your the night before or the day before or have it packed on, for your way to work. You want to make sure that everything you do, you're setting yourself up for success. And then are there activities or tangibles that can be built into your plan to celebrate every small step? Now, I'll be very transparent. When I first started working out, now I get up at 4.30 every morning, 4.15-ish, 4.30, and I go to the gym. Well, when I first started, I figured I'd go three times a week. Get up, go to the gym, then get ready for the day three times a week. And I wanted to extend it to six. So initially... If I went to the gym three times that week, then I would reward myself with a quote unquote cheat meal and it would be nothing but cakes. Like I love that place like it was another child of mine. (laughs) I love their cakes. So at the end of every week, if I met my goal, I would celebrate by having a a mini Bundt cake. And I know it seems counterintuitive and it doesn't quite makes sense because it's like, well, you're working out. Why are you going to go and then buy something sugary and sweet? But for me at the time, that's what I needed to celebrate just going that week because there were different things going on with my kids and things in life where getting to the gym was extremely hard. So I had to have something and that was my something. Now, over time, of course, I did change my, um, my celebratory thing where I got a meal that I wanted, like, and it's usually pretty healthy, but I got to eat as much as I want, or I would go somewhere or I would do some type of activity as my, yay, you made it this week type of thing. But you have to celebrate every small step. If you don't celebrate the small things or the small steps, then this becomes a chore. And once it becomes a chore, how likely are we really going to do it? Yeah, not very likely. That's like when my kids tell me, mom, if you don't ask me to do the the dishes, I'm, when I have the unction to do it, I enjoy doing it. It doesn't quite work like that, but you get what I'm saying. Because it's a chore, more than likely it becomes aversive. And we don't want our goals to become aversive. We want this to be fun. We want this to be reinforced. We want to see the progress and the amazing things that can come from us doing these particular 
these particular goals and these things that we've set our minds to do. And I know that you can do them. It's just sometimes we need that little push or that little um, thing that's going to get us to where we're trying to get to. So when we, again, when we start with a a vision, you want to define it. So you want to make sure that you put a definition to your vision and your goals. So if you want to be healthy, what does that mean? Will you exercise more, eat healthier foods, cut out junk food, um, make sure you're using portion control, being a better parent. Does that mean that you will spend more uninterrupted time with your kids, have a family uh, meeting without distractions at least once a week? So defining what the goal will actually look like for you, knowing where you're headed will help to take the necessary steps, help you take the necessary steps to get there. So that's the first thing that you want to do is define your vision. The second thing is you want to break that vision down. And when breaking that vision down, you want to make sure that it's something that you can stick to. So for instance, if your goal is to be more active next year, this is how you can break it down. One, you could take one walk for 10 minutes every Saturday, then move to your second short-term goal of taking a walk every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for 20 minutes each week. Your third step would be to take a 40-minute walk every day, and then you can go from there. So you want to make sure that you're building up your momentum to get you to your ultimate or your long-term goal. Even if you believe your goal is mundane or simple or whatever, Putting your goal into smaller steps can mean the difference between success and your failure. So once you have your definition, you've broken it down. Again, we're coming back to looking at that environment. So when you're looking at your environment, your environment, you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up up for success. So again, you want to eat healthier next year when you're or this year when you're in the grocery store, only buy those healthy foods and snacks. If the t- temptation is not present. You will, or you increase the response effort to obtain the unhealthy items or whatever it is that you're looking to abstain from, then you've just set yourself up for success. Say so again, say you want to increase your sales next year. You're going to evaluate your product placement in your store. Make sure your website is featuring your products and not and it doesn't have just you know random frivolous information that doesn't lead to a sale on it. You want to work out because I like working out, guys. Set your gym codes out the night or the day before get your gym clothes set out with your gym shoes make sure you have everything in your gym bag set yourself up for success it can it greatly improves the likelihood that you will engage in the behaviors that you want to see and then we're going to celebrate our small steps and it, for most of us that are in the field this is celebrating those successful approximations so you have you have to celebrate every win every single one. Your small victory may not seem big in your eyes, but trust me when I say it is a huge deal and you should celebrate that. So you saved money by eating at home instead of going out. Well, celebrate by putting that saved money into an account to buy that new gadget you've been eyeing or put it toward that new dress that you want that you saw in the store. You're just, that makes you just one step closer to your goal of eating out less and eating out at home more. You went for a walk three times this week during your lunch break. Celebrate with a night on the town with friends. You just got one step closer to your health goals. You deserve to celebrate. I mean, within reason, of course. The incremental short-term goals that will help you achieve your long-term goals. So continue to build that momentum to help you live out your vision. 
comes from Dr. Miles Monroe and his book, Understanding Your Potential. People generally fall into one of three groups, the few who make things happen, the many who watch things happen, and the overwhelming majority who have no notion of what happens. Every person is either a creator of fact or a creator of circumstance. He either puts color into his environment or, like a chameleon, takes color from his environment. Today we say change the color of your environment. Put color into your environment. Thank you for doing life with me with Behavioral Analysis. Thank you for listening to the Live with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye! ...of the span of possibilities to, with a co-worker, set up a time to have lunch or tea or go to, you know, have, you know, say, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring, you know, something for us to have together. Would you mind um, meeting me for lunch on the lawn or wherever, park our cars next to each other, however that works for social distancing and meeting <laughs> up and then saying, you know, I want to know more and I want to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I mean, can it, can it just, can we just do that? I want to know more and I want to be a better person. Are there ways in which I have, you know, probably offended you and didn't even know I did or other people have? And cause I want to know more and I don't want to do it again. Right. So I think the, the, you know, how does a person identify that they have implicit bias I think when we talk about self-improvement, you know, self-improvement is, is a word in pop psychology that people use all the time. If you want to be a better person and improve yourself, start with the conversation. And it is not outside of the realm of possibilities to um, approach a person that you've not spoken to a, a whole lot, um, to forge a relationship and having a real conversation. But here is the thing. Do not have the real conversation with someone who needs something from you because they'll never tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. I watch this. I see this so many different times in our field. And I thought that person's not going to tell you the truth because they want access to your Rolodex. They want access Mm -hmm. to who, you know, you know, speak to a person that has nothing to lose nor gain. That's good. By that conversation. So mm-hmm. if we are, you know, on the same plane, it is a totally different thing now for me to see in this field of people who are reaching out to, pe- to people who would, in a workplace, be their subordinates. Mm-hmm. And you want them to tell you the truth. They are not going to tell you the truth. And there's a the couple reasons why they're not going to tell you the truth. They've not come into the evolution of the truth for themselves yet. So they can't tell you what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, they want access to what you, what they think you hold. And so they're not going to say and give those honest answers. So if you're going to reach out to someone, make it someone on a commensurate level, mm-hmm. someone who is like you, 
because that's how I know, that's how my friends know, and that's how the people who, who discuss this behind the scenes as we watch, that's how we know you are really serious. If you keep bringing them up, because we're bringing them up too, they'll mm -hmm. never tell you, but we're bringing them up too in the, you know, behind the scenes. But, you know, ask somebody who really wants to tell you. Have a conversation. That's good. And I think mm -hmm. people are scared to have that conversation because they're scared of what they may hear when well, it's just dialogue. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's a, that's a defensiveness. Well, right. Good. You know, yeah. Like there's been times where I said something and one of my friends said, listen, like, uh, why are you saying that? No, that's don't say that. <laughs> like we can create, I don't know if that's just, you know, us as the black community, we correct, correct, correct each other. Right. Like if I see, somebody I'm going to correct you and you were going to correct me too I don't know if that's just our upbringing and how we were raised um I've been corrected multiple times I didn't like it but it is what it is <laughs> look, look, look and it wasn't that it wasn't that corrective feedback you read about no it wasn't right right it, it was the kind of correction that made you like tough so, you know, right. I, I remember, yes. I remember going into church. I thought I was so cute. And one of the older women at the church was like, come here, baby. And mm. you know, when somebody starts that, you're like, oh, what did I do? Yeah, exactly. So, That's the first thing you think. Listen, you, you cannot wear that. You cannot wear that slip. It does not work with, with that outfit. And so I know you think you look like somebody today, but today... <laughs> You don't. And I was like, oh, oh, no. oh. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. So when you supervise and you give somebody feedback and while it's not that harsh, you know, you meet, you know, people who have been able to, um, I had a supervisee and no matter what I said to her, how I said it, um, and I even pretended to be somebody else sometimes so I could you know, say it in a way that will work for her. But it was like always these tears. And then it dawned on me that tears were a way for her to escape from mm -hmm. any type of critical feedback that she had ever gotten about her job and her previous supervisors would stop. And I was like, well, I'm not about to sign off on you becoming a behavior analyst because you are not ready. Right. And, you know, that pr probably ended our supervision relationship. And there was some other things that I had to complete as a, from a paperwork process, but there are people who are not uh, raised and reared for hard conversations. And mm -hmm. I think from a, a cultural standpoint, there are majorly many of us who are um, very um, uh, not, um, it's not confrontation, very direct mm -hmm, in our mm -hmm. language. And direct is not something that is um, smiled upon very much in our field. It, you know, it is very passive aggressive in terms of people right. and their interactions with one another. So from a cultural communication and linguistic standpoint, that direct language is almost aversive to mm -hmm. many people. And so um, if you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the answer. But if you, in the words of my mother, if you don't want the answer, don't ask Don't ask. ask. Right, 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 and that also goes that with right, right. That <laughs> also goes with you know how sometimes we are considered to be more aggressive, yes, um, or 
you know, oh, you, you know, you're, you're angry. And it's not, I'm not angry. I'm just right. letting you know what the issue is. And I think that's, that's, Andrew, you made a good point. That's probably what it goes back to. Like, they're not used to getting that feedback or they're used to getting feedback in a different manner. Um, I don't do well with passive aggressive. I hate when I get the passive aggressive emails because the first thing I want to do is call you. I don't want right. to say, <laughs> you know, I, I'm very bad with that. Like, I will call you like, like well, nope, what, 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 what's going on? It's with like, let's email? address the issue. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's address yes. the issue. Yeah. Um, but you, it gets frowned upon. I've been told that I'm confrontational because I don't want to email back and forth about what's going on. I'd rather call it because, and then that's the other thing. I can't gauge what your, um, your, you know, those, those, those verbal behavior that you engage in that are, are not always, you know, actually vocal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your intentions are behind the email. I can't see your body language. I can't see that. So that's always been my approach, but it gets frowned upon. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. It, I've definitely run into that a couple of times. It was like, I'm not mad though. Like, what do you mean? At all. I am not angry. I'm actually very happy right now. Right. right. <laughs> but, but it's right. The, the tone and, and the delivery is, but it sounds so mean. And I'm like, what? Okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I can't, it's hard for me to fix that because that's just how it comes out. But okay, I'll try my best. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't always work, but I try. Yes. I will try. So for us as behavior analysts working with our families, our clients, how can we incorporate more inclusion and diversity? I mean, I have ideas, but what do you think we can do to combat these biases, to combat, you know, the fact that there aren't very many people of color in the field. So it's very whitewashed, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. What can we do? What are some action steps that we can take? Um, So, if, if I could tell a, a quick story. Of course. Okay. So um, when I was a speech pathologist, I, you know, I had a, a, a specialty and um, my mentor was a um, doctorate level um, uh, special education person, black male. And we, he was the assistant director of special education in New Canaan, Connecticut. Now, New Canaan is a very, um, posh, very small area of the world. It's um, not far from Bedford, New York, not far from New York City, but there are no uh, fast food restaurants, no chains in New Canaan. So the Ralph Lauren store is the only store that Ralph Lauren himself would visit. So mm-hmm. it's that, that kind of neighborhood. So Steve Jobs lives in New Canaan. Harry Connick Jr. lives in New Canaan. These people live in New Canaan and their children attend public school. Okay. So it is a public school with a private school feel, mm-hmm. right? So um, I was coming in my first year um, there. My supervisor knew the kind of um, atmosphere I'd be stepping into because I was coming in as a speech pathologist for a small Um, section of children who had very um, special needs and um, their parents were um, they were everybody's a high profile person my joke is that they taped separate wives in New Canaan and they really did so (laughs) they really did so um, I was coming in and my supervisor knew the kind of atmosphere that I was stepping into as a young professional. Mm-hmm. And um, 
he put in the newspaper my arrival um, and my credentials. He put that in the town newspaper so that people, it was like an announcement mm -hmm. that I was coming in as a um, professional in this particular town. And then he had an open house for parents to meet me outside of working with their children so that it would kind of ease my uh, transition mm -hmm. and also help them become comfortable with who I was, who mm -hmm. I am, mm -hmm. right? Um, so while I had the pedigree in terms of, I went to a very you know, well-established school, my transcript is, you know, those degrees and all of those things are great. My professional education, you know, I look great on paper. Um, and a person who is white, who has less, who is less degreed and coursed, did not need that introduction. They would have accepted her mm -hmm. or him for what they presumed that that person would come with. But my supervisor knew my mentor he was not my men, he was my supervisor and my mentor mm -hmm. but more my mentor than anything else he knew what kind of atmosphere i was walking into so he did the newspaper announcement he did the open house which i attended and then on my this was all before my first day of work mm. on my first day of work a mother walks in and she says i came to watch you work with my child oh my and that's what i said in my head <laughs> <laughs> and because because i'm a fan of harriet tubman have always been a fan of harriet tubman and my mother and my grandmother um have personalities to boot i turned to her and i said no you didn't i said no you did not you came to learn how you can work better with your child but you don't get to come and observe me what was her and response? She, she was astonished. They called a meeting. They oh. called a meeting because how dare I have that kind of, they call it an IEP, but how dare I have this type of um, response to her? And then she had her whole private team on the other side of the table. And again, I'm pretty well credentialed. I just chose to work at that school. Mm -hmm. So you know, my background was better than the background of the people across the table for me, but I had to prove that I was there. But my mentor laid it out. He says, you don't get to observe. If you come to observe, someone needs to be next to you so they can interpret for you what you are seeing. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, as a professional, I have always been covered and sheltered by strong black people with high accolades who were just like no you're not this is how she is this is what she is doing and if you have a problem with this then i'm the next i'm the boss mm -hmm. i'm the next person so that's how i was bred and how i was raised i don't necessarily see that in our field that right. you know that level of covering that we should have for each other because we know that there will be many families who will say or not say, I want to watch you work with my child and how they mask it is. It's not a fit. I don't think right. he likes her. Mm -hmm. I don't think we feel comfortable. Um, and, and, I, and all of those things are the subtle ways that families will say, 
you know, we, we just don't want this kind in our house. I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, with, with this. And there are subtle ways, there are, you know, more, uh, there are louder ways that people say it. But what I would like to see in our field um, is that, you know, there is a level of covering that we provide to one another because we, that I had, that I, you know, blossomed under and mm-hmm. with. Um, and that it just doesn't exist. But I will say that from a mentor standpoint, it's difficult to do it these days because right. there's no way that, you know, it, it's so many reasons why it's difficult, but um, it is difficult to do it these days. But I wish that we did that for one another. I don't think I answered one question that you asked me. No, it, no, no, it's, it's good. It's I'm glad. Good. It's no, good. I'm glad that you brought up that story because a lot of people don't understand the, the small, subtle ways that people try to, um, I don't even know what the, the term or the word I'm looking for is, but the small, subtle ways that people try to get to keep people of color from working with their child or to discredit what we have worked for, what we know our intelligence is. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think, I think, um, unfortunately, especially working with families, it, it does happen a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times I, and, when and there is a difference when you have a a black owned ABA company, you are kind of in control of those things. So I know for us, it's that's at the onset when you come on board, you know that you are not going to discriminate against anyone based on mm-hmm. their race, their color, their gender. I don't care what it is, you're not going to do it, and you will be discharged if you engage in those behaviors. So like this is like front page, you sign it when you get right. our services, and this is what you get. And I have had to discharge people because of behaviors like that like to the point I had a case where there were two staff on the case one was um white one was minority uh not minority she was um I think she was Hispanic I cannot remember right now I'm sorry but the family would badger this Hispanic woman like when I say like badger like corner her ask her questions and she's just the tech and we've told them multiple times you do not ask the tech these questions if you have these questions you ask the Mm -hmm. BCBA but it was almost like let me ask you these questions about what you're doing to see if you know what you're talking about but never would bother the other family and I've told I I think I warned them the first time before I finally uh went ahead and discharged but it was to the point like the girl was afraid to go back like they like the father would corner her and like the BCBA would be off working with the child or talking to the mother and like the father would like trying to corner her and like when's my child going to talk when are they going to do this when are they going to do that and it's like the BC, you, you've been told to talk to the BCBA. So like at this point, like, I don't know what it was. Um, and it was one of those situations I didn't realize at first what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you don't notice it at first. Right. So they're like the person that they had enough, they had an African-American person. They said that they didn't think she was trained enough, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. have you. So in this instance, it may have been like the person didn't have as much training. So I just took it as, all right, let's reassign.